John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 138.jb2212, certificate number 36737, Bode's Law. A solar eclipse. The cosmic ballet goes on. Does anyone want to switch seats? Now, we don't know what kind of uh, reception there will be in the distant future when these Entries are uncovered. We presume that it's going to sound like beep 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 because like the, that's what our intro sounds like. Oh, you think that's? Do you think that's the sound of people listening to the show? That's yeah. their that's their little voices being like, "This is exciting." The De Havilland Fever, <laughs> Sadie Hawkins Day. We have now learned about it. Oh, wow! I thought that was uh, them trying to find it with their future tech, or maybe us trying to send it with our present with our present tech. tech. That's the sound of it going and bouncing off of Alpha Centauri and sure. then coming back. Coming back. Yeah. If, yeah, if you had a big enough mirror, well, here's what you need to do. You need to put a big mirror on some distant star. Already did it. <laughs> Check. Wow. It's only 1130 and yep. your to-do list is doing great. Well, I'll tell you what. Second, get a powerful, sufficiently powerful telescope. Done. That you can... <laughs> You can see your, your mirror because the mirror is so big. Right. I mean, that's the good thing. If you put a big enough mirror, you can get a smaller telescope later. It's a little treat you can give to future self. I bought John. them together as a matched pair. At Costco? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I got the like, four back. They're, and they're perfectly mated to one another. Exactly and then right with your with your giant telescope, you can look at your large mirror. Or with your uh, or small reasonably telescope. large telescope, you can look at your ginormous mirror. Right. And then you could see what was happening in the past because speed of light is not instantaneous. And they could see us recording these very words if we sat by a window. <laughs> if we're indoors, it's the kind of or if the planet yeah. is turned the other way. Uh, it could be that the mirror is also one of those Blade Runner uh, photo examiners, and they could look through the telescope into the mirror oh, and yeah. then say, "Enhance." Enhance. Does it bother you when they go around the corner a little in that photo in Blade Runner? They could just go around the corner into the window here. You can't. That's the frame of the photo. You can't see the other part of the motel room. What are they doing? Uh, It had a sound effect. That's how it worked. I assume there's great celebration in the future when these records are uncovered. Um, If they've been looking at archaeological rubble and they don't know, uh, they don't understand a certain reference... Well, or it de- a certain invention? I think it depends, or right? Or a cow magnet? It depends on whether the futurelings who are, who are consuming this 
program are predator or prey in their future world. Because one thing we never account for is that in, in our present time, most f- animals that are used for food by us are... Love, do not love podcasts. Well, they're at a lower level of sentience, let's say. Or, I mean, you know, they don't, oh, they're, not, they're not currently consuming media. But in but, a futureling world, you could have a situation where predator and prey, like prey actually also have TV shows that they like. Sure. So if we are, if uh, if omnibus is the preferred media of the prey species, then maybe the predator species is going to be very against it because we're going to be we're going to empower the uh, the underclass. That's right. The prey species may become seditious as a result of consuming omnibus. Like, what if the only thing keeping them down at this point was that they didn't know how to make a Newton's cradle mm-hmm. or a uh, uh, what? airplane glider. That's exactly right. They're going to they're going to say wait a minute, a turbo encabulator. Why can't we defenestrate our oppressors in this oh, yeah. case? Yeah, we're going to give them social ideas. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be feeding them our watered down Seattle liberalism. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 saber-toothed over- like o- over species might be super duper against omnibus. But we're not revolutionaries. We're just going to teach them to Are kind we of polite. We're going to teach them to politely sign petitions against their against the the ranchers that are farming them for meat. I see what you're saying. So, no, I think that we. I think you and I are part of a, a, a part of a universal resistance against future against all kinds of predation. Future predation. <laughs> yeah. Now, if we are the preferred media of a future predator species, and we are used by them to like. Uh, to sort of oh, we could be the opiate of the masses. Well, or yeah, we could be the we could we could be validating their 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 weird crypto uh, crypto future racism. What do you think their favorite episode is? Ted Dance. It's got to be one, it's got to be one of yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the leaf blower. That's the kind of um, neighborhood misanthropy. That, uh, that they thrive on. Well, this is the thing. Are they using our omnibus to keep their prey species uh, passive, or are they consuming it in their private temples oh, to, right. uh, as, a, as a, like a religious it's, right? It's secret Gnostic knowledge. That's right. Or maybe, uh, yeah, maybe they do feed it to the underclass. Like, hey, you guys, you've put in your 18-hour day down in the mines, down yeah. in our, the copper, the cobalt mines. Right. Um, you now get, sit in your pews. You get to chill. For 48 minutes and listen to a thing about backgammon. Yeah. Chill in your rest tube (laughs) while we pump in Omnibus. We don't have This American Life. We wish we had more episodes. We're out of new episodes of This American Life, but we found some more (laughs) Omnibus uh, in a new dig. I prefer to think that in the the sort of skull and bones sarcophagi of the the overclass, the the, uh, eater class, that we are listened to to glean ideas of good governance and oh we're we're, we're reforming them from within yeah that's right like when Spock went to the Romulans that's right that's what you were thinking right when yeah. Spock went when to the Spock Romulans when Spock went to the Romulans yeah <laughs> when the Gaia bomb terraformed uh, whatever smog <laughs> yeah exactly smog <laughs> smog's mountain we. Uh, well, I mean, no matter what the... And it's possible that we're speaking to a harmonious future world with none of these kind of conflicts. Where predator and prey live happily together, lion yeah. and lamb. Except maybe we're now introducing conflict with our passive-aggressive arguing. Oh, uh, so the lion suddenly looks at the lamb and goes, wait a minute. Wait a second. You look delicious. They talked about 
they talked about meat in the Cincinnati chili episode. <laughs> What's meat? What's meat? Heart, ground heart. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, so we don't know what the reaction will be 30,000 years from now. Right, impossible these, for us to When know. these come out of the glacier. But we do know one thing uh, from early response we've, we've heard in our time from a small, a small beta audience we have here in the early 21st century. One thing we know from them is that they love omnibus entries that are heavy on speculative math. And, oh, and, and science theory. It's their favorite. Oh my gosh, they just love it. If Isn't you go it crazy? On, if you go on the uh, on the Futurelings Reddit, they're just like, when are they going to do another? When will there be a theoretical Hilbert, math? Uh, when will there be another Hilbert Hotel? Like, yeah. could there be like a Hilbert Motel, uh, a Milbert Motel? They're lining up for it, and all these ones about like, oh, the Noid. They're so bored. No, no more Gen X nostalgia, Ken. We want to know about five-dimensional hypergeometry. I went to an event. I was, rather, I participated in an event. You didn't go there? I, I, I was there to participate in it, uh, an event, another event that celebrated you. <laughs> I like how you didn't go there. You participated. Like, could <sighs> go, go there. there would imply you were an attendee. <laughs> right. And that's not your status in no, Seattle. I was there. You as were the a, show. I was part of the show. And uh, not one, not two, but three different people referenced the Noid to me. Is that true? As they were waiting in the enormous line to to touch you and be touched by you. That was so nice of you, by the way, to be the little the little audio animatronic in the Disneyland line that distracts people <laughs> a little from how long till they hello get, how, everyone how long it's going to be till they get to the real attraction. Please put your shampoo <laughs> into a separate container. <laughs> Uh, I did a little bit of line work for you. I appreciate that. Uh, and heard about the Noid from people. The Noid. That's what they wanted to talk about. It's a little weird. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows for whom the bell tolls? Were you like, hey, are there any uh, Thursday uh, episodes you, uh, you <laughs> like? Said, as I was working the line, I was like, hey, everybody, it's me, John Roderick. People are like, ah, God, him again. <laughs> No, they love you. You were beloved in that room. I saw it. But there were a lot of people that were asking about math episodes. And are they going to get one today? When you said Bode's Law, I assumed you meant. Uh, um, you think I assumed you meant Bode Miller, the incredible like gold <laughs> yeah. medal downhill skier. Yeah, his law is to ski <laughs> super fast. Yeah. Bro. No, I think it's Bode's Law. It's like a deli side. It's like it's like coleslaw, but um, Bode's but, Law, but more ominous. Huh. Or for skiing. <laughs> Boat's Law. We're going to chop up Bodie Miller. Wait, is it Bodie? Have I been saying it wrong? I, uh, We're going to carve up his Bodie. I, you know, I should know as a, yes. as a skier. You, you're part of Ski America. I think it is Bodie, but, you know, I always said Bode because it's... it. But the thing about Bode is it's a great name to say in a skier slash surfer accent. Could you do it for us? Bode. <laughs> now, Bodie also works as like... Bodie. It's not as good. I mean, it looks like a surfer name because yeah. it sounds like Brody right. or Grody even. It's it's valley speak. Bodie, if you say it like Bodie, it works. But if you go deep into like Bode. One syllable is better. It's always better. And bro. I love how you're never aware that you're the turtle from Finding Nemo. <laughs> you, you, you think you're doing some pure other for, voice that you know firsthand. But what is the turtle sounds like that? I've never seen Founding, Founding Nemo. Don't you have a, like a, an adorable Pixar loving cherub of a daughter? I have a little cherub of a daughter, but I just show her Playboy after hours from the sixties. <laughs> That's awesome. It's because it's got all that great jazz music. <laughs> I tried to show my kids. I don't know why we're talking. About, I tried to show my kids light sixties vibraphone jazz <laughs> in the form of the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. 
Oh, nice. Which I thought they would love. Catchy Michelle Legrand music. Sure. My son really is into La La Land for some reason, and that's that movie is a template for La La Land. Right. From the palette to the month-by-month structure to the disappointing ending. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were both just like, what is this? Why are we watching this? So good luck trying to get your kids to listen to smooth uh vibraphone music in, in the year of our Lord 2020. You know, uh, Long Winter's drummer Nabil Ayers, his father is Roy Ayers, a jazz vibraphonist of the uh, of the groovy late 60s, early 70s, uh, peak vibraphone. Yeah. So <clears throat> my little girl is living in a world with tons of vibes going all the time. She's, my dad loved she, her head Lionel is, Hampton. So Her brain is covered in nine <laughs> inches of shag carpeting <laughs> at all times. <laughs> So uh, the thing about Bode's Law is it's not really a law, and it's uh, certain, we certainly God, we're off to a and great we, start. We can't attribute it to Bode either. <laughs> we are o for two here. Okay, why was it attributed to Bode? So Bode and uh, his—it's often called Tidious Bode's Law. It's a better name. Uh, tidi- the Tidious Bode Law. I mean, wh- why do you think it's better? Tidious Bode. <laughs> what, which, which which of those two words would you say is is better think, to you? Let me just do it in the in the server voice. Tidious bird. <laughs> That's like when they see a really bodacious surfer girl. Dude, that is the greatest surfer exclamation I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, that's tidious bird. <laughs> it's, like, it's just as meaningless as anything they say, but it has all the great syllables. I believe tidious is the right pronunciation of Johann Daniel Tidious's name. It's not titious. I don't believe so. Here, here's the deal. He's German, and his name is actually something like Tietze, I think. It's, it's got a Z instead. But, but it got Greekified? Yeah, this must have been a time when if you were a very serious scientist, you would want the Latinate version of your name. Right. And so he thought, oh my gosh, you know what future generations are going to dig if they if my name is Tidious? Like, that's so dignified. Tidious. And so we, he had no idea that we would just giggle at his name being Tidious now. If you're doing like a kind of a super intellectual rap and you want to rhyme for hideous, <laughs> there it is. The astronomy's perfidious. <laughs> Just ask Johan Daniel Tidius. He was, uh, but I mean, you would do it. I mean, if your name was, if you started going by Yo- Johannes Rodericus, right? Nobody would bat an eye. That's awesome. Ionos, Ionos, yes, exactly. Do you, uh, there's a story about John Paul II, I think, or maybe John the Twenty Third, signing his name uh, the first time when he chooses his papal name and being told by the staff, "No, sir, you used a J." Uh, the letter J had not been invented at the time of the papacy, so. Pope's sign with an, with an I, I instead. So he had to rewrite it with an I. Did he have to rip up whatever that proclamation was? He had to burn it and see what color the smoke was. See, this is the thing about being Pope that people don't realize. <laughs> this there's is the like, one thing. There's like four or five people looking over your shoulder going, um, actually... If only the presidency had that. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the papacy. It used to. Uh, Turns so, out that was just a gentleman's agreement, too. Exactly. So uh, it's really the Tidious Bode Law. Tidious uh, predated Bode's observation of this phenomenon, but in fact, the idea probably predates both of them. It probably goes back... Oh, wait. Tidious and Bode are different people? Yes. Oh, dude. They're both German uh, mathematician astronomers of the early 18th century, Johann Ellert Bode and Johann Daniel Tietze, a.k.a. Tidious. Uh Uh-huh. Tidious to his bros. So now if 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 his name was... Tietze, what year is this? Early 18th century, like uh, he's uh, born in 1729. So I'm. So it sounds like he may be from his surname, 
maybe part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but that's not really a German name as much as it is like a Hungarian name. T-I-E-Z-E. You feel like that's uh, insufficiently German? T-I-E-Z-E. He is from Prussia, but... um, I-E-Z-E. But it's wait, it's a part of Russia that's now in Poland. Actually, yeah, does that okay. does that help? <clears throat> it's it's it seems Slavic. It seems like that Z might have a little like a little cross on it. What he would have called Kernitz is now something with a J and a Ch in it because it's now in northern Poland. Right. Um, so, so yeah, yeah you're let, not wrong. Let, let's 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 say sure that he's uh, that he's. He's Prussian. Way to stick That's, up for the Central European minorities here. That's why you're on this on this program <laughs> to make sure the the Slavs get their due. Slavo Prussian. Uh, and but the uh, the first notice of Bode's Law probably came from a group of medieval scholars called the Kosists, possibly Kosists. I think it's Kosist. C o s s i s t. A word I had never previously seen, and which was in no dictionary I could find. C o s s i s t. Cosist. Yes, uh, it comes from the Italian cosa, like thing, and it's so it's like thingy, thingy people, thingamabobs. Uh, the thing being referred to is an unknown mathematical quantity. Cosists were early algebraicists, basically before algebra had its name. Um, most of the principles of it had been either forgotten from classical times or had not yet made their way up from the Arab world. Uh, you're saying, <clears throat> you're saying cosists. Yes, because it's from Italian cosa, but it's spelled like cosist. So uh, I don't know. The future can say it however they want. Do you want to make a ruling right now of how untold generations should say this word, which even in our time no one knows? Boy, I I am looking at it. And I just feel like it's Cossack. It looks but, like Cossack. But I'm bad at I'm a bad at pronouncing your, things. Your track record on the show is not a hundred percent on on sight reading new words. Or maybe I am like the establishment voice of the way f- future people talk. That's right. You're the future prescriptive That's pronunciator. Right. People, people instead of saying it's received pronunciation from the queen. It's received pronunciation from one half of omnibus. Whatever you say goes. Do you want to pick just a really weird pronunciation for some word and stick with it and see if you can get it to catch on? Let's say cautious. <laughs> okay. The cautious, mm-hmm. because out of an abundance of caution, uh, performed different mathematical tasks. Uh, and often, this is interesting, they, would, they were not scholars. They would do them for money. They were, they were whores. They would sell out to the merchant class when they needed, you know, we talked about the history of insurance. The early business classes of medieval Europe often needed math done. You know, what, what right. should I sell this product for to maximize? How much of this product should I put on that ship? What is my risk if I do this? Um, they and needed actuaries. Yes, essentially. And nobody had this kind of algebraic knowledge, algebra having either not been invented or in some, some varieties of it forgotten. Uh, so the cosists or cautious, we said? Cautious. So uh, algebra was, uh, it was, <clears throat> let's see. The Arabs were aware of algebra. Yes, the na- our name uh, algebra comes via Spanish, via Arabic. And it's, the Chinese the all... had algebra? Yeah, I mean, the principles of algebra, at least some of them, have been known back to the ancient Babylonians and Persians. The Chinese had pretty sophisticated algebra in the by the 13th century. And the Greeks did too, right? Yes. This was just stuff that had been lost to Christian Europe. It had been lost, yes. <clears throat> and, uh, and was going to come back, you know, it was making its way from the you know, the Arab world, which was still super good at differential equations. Um, but through, through again, the mechanism of the crusades or the, uh, the contact that Christian Europe made through the, 
through the murderous crusades, actually brought back some math. They thought they were going to get Jerusalem, and what they really got was factoring polynomials. <laughs> and is this what Fermat made his bones doing? I mean, is this? Uh, are we that far along? Yeah, Fermat comes from the culture of the of the. What are we saying? Cautious. The cautious. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right era for him. Oh, okay. Um, and so these were thinkers in uh, primarily in Germany and Italy who would figure out how to do some algebraic trick, you know, and then you would keep it secret from all your fellow cautists out of an abundance of caution. <laughs> because you did not, like, if you knew how to do solve cubic equations, like, then right. then the guilds would have to come to you. Oh, right. So this became like a, this was a, a some secret, yeah, it's like, like carpentry it's like skills. the recipe to Coca-Cola or a, yeah, it's like a trade secret, really. Oh, I love this. So people back then, you could patent or trademark, like, knowing how to factor a certain kind of equation, and everybody, you know, dumb Kevin's not going to figure that out. So. Right, right. So, 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 did, so it was like, like a, a bit of tenth grade algebra would make you like the smartest guy in town, and all the all the rich middle new middle class merchants would be beating the path to your door. You you carried the quadratic equa- equation in a little locket around your heart. <laughs> you pull right. it out sometimes, and you and your partner can't go on the same, uh, can't travel on the same, uh, uh, whatever camel. Yeah, because what if some accident occurred? The same burrow. It, it would be lost again. That's right. Uh, and they probably, you know, they were very into patterns of numbers. You know, we've talked before about how um, the medieval scientists, scientists in quotes, were like in the John D. entry, we talked about this, how they were, and uh, in one about indigo, we talked about how they were obsessed with the, you know, the music of the spheres. There was mm-hmm. some perfect harmony in the universe mm-hmm. that if we could only see uh, you know, we would understand the face of God. The wisdom of the ancients. Exactly. And yeah, and not just the ancients, but actually... Right, right, right. Over God's shoulder. Some divine architect, you know, right. we could we could just understand his, his hand. The golden mean. Exactly. And as a result, they would often look for patterns in the universe, even where none existed. We talked about how Isaac Newton invented the color of indigo just because he thought there should be seven colors. Mm-hmm. It bugged him <laughs> that there were seven <laughs> notes and seven planets and... We were missing a color. It's the it's the impulse to have a, a unification theory, and I still I still wake up every morning trying to unify all thought. I don't. I, I'm still. Have you done it? I'm pretty mor- far away. Were you close this morning? I was closer before, and you were almost there. And then I rang the doorbell. Well, the problem is every new day there's new information you have to you have to, to include, incorporate, right? Yes. And so. It keeps getting more and more confusing. We just like passed Super Tuesday, you know, and I'm trying to put the, all that data into the There's a new kind machine. of stuffed cheese, uh, crust pizza at yeah. Pizza Hut. How does that, how does it fit? Ken showed up this morning with two giant containers of Costco Danish. You you would not stop asking me questions about I'm the like, Costco Danish. Did, why did you bring these? And you're like, what? I don't ever bring anything? And I was uh, like, no, you do not ever bring I could anything. not understand the interrogation, but now I get it. Yeah. You were trying to fit this new world where I might bring... Eight Costco cheese Danish. <laughs> I was into your uh, theory of the universe. Was like Ken, I was five percent of uh, away from having a grand unification theory that incorporated all knowledge up to this point, and you show up with two like fifteen pound bags of Danish. You didn't understand all the fundamental forces of the universe, but you thought you understood me. Yeah, and then suddenly there I am with Costco Danish, not just cheese but cherry as well. Ugh. Um, and I ate one, and now I feel like I ate a manhole cover. You're, are you against the Costco Danish? No, I was 100% in favor of it. But oh, it was, you like eating manhole cups. But it was like 1,400 calories. Yeah, you don't want to know. No. This is a pretty universal human impulse to impose patterns on 
what we see. Right. Faces on Mars. Yeah. That, there's a specific name for it. So the phenomenon in general is called apophenia, which is not um, some kind of weird primate, of primate bestiality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this idea that our brains will seek order and sometimes they will... Apophenia. Overseek order. And, and one of the most important kinds is the one you mentioned, just the, the commonplace daily thing where you see faces in car grills and waste baskets. And that's called pareidolia. You don't think that car grills are intentionally made to look like faces? They all look like faces. Okay. But what about the, what if you see one in nature? What if you see the, the, a face in the moon? Do you think that's also uh, ancient aliens? It's the man on the moon. Yeah. We, we have a name for it. He lives there, Ken. <laughs> he is the moon. He's made of green cheese. Uh, that's a, it's a very common visual phenomenon. And you can see what the evolutionary reason for that would be. You know, sure. if you're, if you're a hunter gatherer guy trying to scramble for a living in the jungle, which is maybe not too far off in your case. It's absolutely 100% what I consider myself to be. Uh, then if you see something moving in a shadow that may or may not be a predator. If it looks like a face. Your brain should jump to, oh no, that's probably a face. Right. Because it might save your life. Like the people who thought, I bet that's just a series of vines and branches. A lot of them are dead. Almost all of the things that will kill you have some kind of face. Um, uh, that are that are aminal. A train. Oh, wait, you said trains do have faces. A train has a face, sure. <laughs> trains, uh, a coronavirus. Trains don't have headlights, though. They got the one weird center light. They're like some kind of Cyclops face. Yeah, Cyclops face. There's lots of um, cases in just modern science and theory which are also apophenic. People assuming there's a pattern where it turns out research shows there is none. For example... Um, Basketball players and experts assumed for decades and still do today that there is something streaky about players' shooting abilities, that sometimes players or teams will have a hot hand right. that you should always pass off to the guy who's just hit a few jumpers in a row. And apparently it's very statistically hard to demonstrate this. There are many, many people have tried and failed. Huh. It seems as if the hot hand may be an illusion. That this is just, like a moon illusion. Sure. Or gambler's fallacy. You know, like, oh, right. the, the you know, blacks come up six times on this wheel. Does that mean I should do black again, or maybe I should do red? Right, you know, right, like, right. We, we know it's random, the, the observers of the story problem. This is what Saber Metrics sought to, uh, sought to diffuse, right? This. And it did, and it did uh, unter- overturn a lot of conventional wisdom about when you, yeah, when you should bunt and when you should shift the outfield. And it turns out when you actually count things, you get a different idea from just what the old guy chewing tobacco and adjusting his jock heard from his dad when he was chewing tobacco and adjusting his jock. Is there something uh, akin to counting bias where you, uh, where the numbers lie? What do you think? What do you mean by counting bias? I mean that by focusing on the measurable, uh, and discounting the unmeasurable. Oh, everything's measurable. Right. The enlightenment's happened, John. Right, you're right. You're, what was I thinking? You're living in a, in a <laughs> you're living in a tedious bone world. Another I- I- interesting example of apophenia, which shows it really is in all species, is uh, when S- B. F. Skinner put pigeons in his little boxes, mm. uh, and he, you know he would feed I them. Remember that? You remember? It was hot. He, <laughs> he, would, he would feed them with little pellets down a chute. Right. That was also hot. Right. And uh, and he would. You know, it was a demonstration of how operant and classical conditioning were, because you can change the behavior of the rat or the pigeon depending on how you give them the reward. And what he found is, uh, you know, just randomly giving these pigeons a pellet, it would make them do more of whatever they were doing when the pellet arrived. Of course. So if they're just pecking in the left corner of the cage and the pellet comes once, 
the odds of them pecking more in the, that corner of the cage go up 30% or something. Right. And of course, he was not, that's not how the mechanism happened. The release of the pellet was random and unrelated to their behavior. I think it's, I think that is. It's, uh, it's all human superstition. It's 100% behind almost all of the habits I have in life. <laughs> I was pecking in the left corner of this room one time and I got a pellet. Sports fans do it. Uh-huh. The last time they won the title, right. I, I didn't finish my coffee and my wife wasn't in the room. So I'm going to leave my coffee and murder my wife. Right. Yeah, it's, and wear my special underpants. Yeah, exactly. Athletes do it too. People always wanted me to have some game show superstition. You know, you don't have any. I stayed in the same. I stayed in the same really flea bag motel. Yeah, even when I could afford a you know a Best Western. Right. Uh, on throughout Jeopardy, and it was partially an abundance of caution, but it right. was also. I mean, partly, partly superstition, you know, what if, what if this matters? But mostly right. it was like, you know, let's get in a comfortable routine. Like a lot of these superstitions are rationally explicable as a comfortable routine. You seem to still get your hair cut at Supercuts, even though the whole chain closed 15 years ago. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's a ghost barber there. <laughs> I, go, I go into a, to a uh, abandoned Supercuts. <laughs> and I sit in one of the creaky chairs until the ghosts cut my hair. <laughs> now, even though we are together recording, John, we are sitting eight feet or so apart because we are responsible citizens of the pandemic. And we, like, I assume many of our present listeners are social distancing. We are social distancing. We're doing it as a matter of of uh, normal habit. But also, you and I both are uh, are sequestering ourselves with our families and not venturing out, not being agents of contagion. It's the right thing to do. Agents of contagion. Agents of contagion. I love that record. Killer, killer band. Uh, but uh, I know. have been going to the beach the- because when you're walking around on the beach, you can see someone coming from a long way away and avoid them. And duck. And duck behind a <laughs> dune or some sawgrass. In our case, duck behind a big gooey duck. Uh, that's why they're called gooey ducks, yeah. because they're large enough that you can duck behind, duck behind them. them. Uh like and so we are like you, uh, social distancing, and yet we can bridge that distance between us through the miracle of podcasting in general, the omnibus in particular. We're we going to keep making this show uh, as long as we can. We hope that the resilience and constancy of the omnibus gives you some sense of that in your disrupted daily life. And uh, please believe that John and I are convinced that uh, although we talk a lot about the cataclysmic destruction of humankind, we don't think it is scheduled for this calendar year. No, it feels like our response, our collective response, um, has been really a, like a cheering effort on our part to protect the vulnerable. And I'm, by our part, I mean the, uh, the people of the world. Kind of like society just kind of has decided. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of awful people that are still going to bars or whatever, right. where legal. But in general, we've kind of decided, here's the trolley problem. We have decided to run the trolley over a lot of our habits and social institutions and pastimes and even economic well-being in order to keep it off that other track that has 2.2 million elderly and immunocompromised Americans. Right. So good for us. We picked and, the right track. And it is particularly difficult for people that work in service industries. I mean, if you are, if you work in a restaurant, for instance. Um, yeah, this is not academic this anymore. Is, this, uh, this is bad times. And creative people, especially who depend on um, being able to perform or or work in an industry that that uh, 
has a customer service component. You and I were probably both going to be on the road somewhat this spring, and now we're we're not. We've both canceled an awful lot of travel plans and not not rescheduling them (laughs) because it's unclear. I just got an email saying that uh, my daughter's school is now going to be out of session for an additional month. So it just keeps. I think I don't think we're going to see school again this this year. But Omnibus is going to continue right. despite all the interruptions. Um, Infuriating my now stay-at-home daughter who stands in the doorway and glares at us as we spend all afternoon talking. Well, we are in the room with all her Barbies and Legos and Star Warses. That's right. She's not allowed in here now. Uh, but anyway, Omnibus is going to be here for the duration. Um, if you are still gainfully employed, you know where our Patreon is and we would love your support. If you're not, good news. The Omnibus is uh, one thing that is as free as it ever was, even before they roll out universal basic income. Free and also, hopefully, uh, like a the one bit of media you can consume that will not generally ever refer to the coronavirus, except... Except that we mention the end of the world, like, at the top and bottom of every single show. Right. But just to reassure you, this isn't it. We're going to be fine. When we say that, imagine an asterisk that says... Not we, coronavirus. Right. We mean asteroids or earthquakes or volcanoes. Godzillas. Or other plagues, Werewolves. but not this plague. Yeah, another different one. <laughs> sure, a worse plague. This one we're going to be fine. Because of this phenomenon of people finding order where none exists, uh, some anonymous cosists had made an observation about the heavens. Now, Kepler, uh, the previous century, had established his laws of motion. It was now... You know, and it was kind of in the same way he had he had measured certain mathematical, you know, some patterns in the way that the planets moved in the star in the sky, and he realized, oh, these are not what's going on, but they are suggestive of what's actually happening, which is we're all orbiting the sun, and here are some equations that explain the elliptical orbits that the these worlds have around the sun, uh, and so this was well known. And now that we understood why the planets seemed to zigzag around the sky a fair bit, people were trying to uncover, and, and that we, you know, we had done the math to see how big the ellipses of the known planets were, you know, what all their orbits likely were to fulfill Kepler's math, people started messing with those numbers. And they found an interesting pattern in the orbital distances of the known patterns. And both uh, Titius and later Bode wrote about the pattern. Now, all the planets orbit the sun in ellipses, right? Little ovals. And if you measure the semi-major axis, that's the greatest distance each planet ever gets from the sun. Sometimes we're closer to the sun, sometimes we're further, right? It's not a circle. Um, And that's not what makes the seasons. It's not summer when we're closer. That's all the Earth tilting. But there are times in the Earth's orbit when we're much closer to the sun than others. If you take the farthest point and call that the major axis of the ellipse, and then you cut it in half so it's a radius from the... uh, Earth to the sun, that would be the semi-major axis. And you compare that for all the planets, you get an interesting pattern where it kind of doubles with Hmm. every new planet. Not really, but it it goes like this. Um, If the distance between the Earth and the sun is, you know, 10 units, then you get a pattern where each new planet is four plus a doubling number, starting with zero. Each new planet... Out further out from yes. Earth. No, further out from the Sun. So even just starting with Mercury, let's say Mercury is planet with planet zero. If you add four to that, that means Mercury's distance from the Sun is like very close to four tenths 
of the Earth's distance from the sun. It's, it's almost exact. But then you keep adding, then you keep doubling, 3, 6, 12, 24, 48. And if you add 4 to that doubling sequence, you get the distance where you find each new planet. And this delighted uh, these anonymous Kosiists and then uh, Tidius and Bode when they discovered it. Right. But they seem to have found the arrangement of why the planets were where, where they were in increasing distance from the sun. Did Tidius and Bode discover this independently of one another? Yes. Uh, Tidius a little earlier. Um, he was a few decades older. Tidius wrote about it in 1766. Bode didn't write about it until six years later. So it's one of these cases of a parallel discovery. But modern scholars think there probably was something in the ether. Uh, uh, oh, like a like a golden ratio? No, in the ether. <laughs> <laughs> like in sorry, in the zeitgeist. That this is something right. that scholars were looking for and talking informally about, even if this is the earliest publication about it. Um, uh, I guess I, what I meant by counting bias when I said it earlier would be the bias to assume that having counted a thing, you had discovered the extent of it. Right, and that uh, that what you wouldn't know is whether or not the thing that you counted was part of something at a larger at, at, a, at a larger scale where where a yes. very different thing was being counted. Like that's the case of, of Kepler, you know. The, it turns out the positions of the stars in the heaven were not the ultimate finding, but his measurements, his counts basically could be used to derive the equations of of, uh, of orbital mechanics. Right. Um, and that's probably true here because they were very happy with this arrangement and they were like, we figured it out. We know why the divine hand of God placed the planets from Mercury to Saturn in around this, the sun. In this order. In this order and in this, uh, in this proportion. It's a, it's a beautiful harmony, which is what they wanted to find in the universe. So again, that's another bias you can have. You find something nice and you stop looking. It's kind of deistic, right? The idea that although we're, although as scientists we're progressing beyond the, the superstition. superstition of the church, we still believe that there's that God has an active hand and is putting little codes, little certificate numbers embedded in the in math and science and nature. And maybe not active. Maybe he did it once, right? And hit uh, hit run. On his uh, Commodore sixty four, but it was made. There was a yes. the, the hand of creation is visible, and this is and it would have been the same to them. Seeing evidence of that hand today, we would think of that as as a very different thing. Finding evidence for religion, so called, versus evidences for science. Right. But back then, it would have been the same thing. If you discover something about the universe, you have revealed the truth both about God and about the laws of nature, because he would have got those rolling. That's really no different from uh, from grand unification theory now or Stephen Hawking or, or string theory, like the, the premise being that there is a, that there is a simple solve for X. And we're just seeing symptoms of it. Right. Yeah. And that, that solve for X then is the, is the further, is an, is the new mystery or is the, is, I mean, we're, we're all trying to look up God's skirt. At least I am. That's very disrespectful. I don't know. What if God's wearing yoga pants? God presumably is very big, and (laughs) I'm very small. Where else am I going to look? It's a big skirt. Unless God is kneeling. Well, then Bode's Law does not uh, bode well Mm. for... uh, Uh, How long had you been waiting for that? I don't know what you mean. For grand unified theory lookers, because in this case, it turns out that the beautiful finding actually may have just concealed chaos. Uh, we don't usually call it Bode's Law anymore because 
it's probably not a law. If you were being more precise, you'd say Bode's formula. How how much um, how much deviation is necessary before a thing becomes not a thing? Well, here's what happened in the case of Bode's law. I mean, some of the planets, now that we can measure a little better, and maybe even back then they knew, were within plus or minus 5% of where Bode's law would have predicted. That seemed, that plus or minus orbit. within 5% seems like, I mean, if you're in an archery contest, maybe that is going to keep you out of the winner's circle. But if you're talking about the motion of heavenly bodies... Well, it's still going to be hundreds of thousands of miles. Yeah, but you're so. right, I guess, from, from, you know, from, from a sufficiently great distance, I guess. Uh, I like to look from all the way up. What, up the skirt. <laughs> One problem was that there was, Bode's Law would have predicted a, a, a planet between Mars and Jupiter, uh, yeah. a, a, orbiting at a certain distance. So was there a missing planet in their cosmology for a while? Well, here's what happened. The asteroid belt was discovered. Ceres, the largest asteroid, was found, and then and there because there is a large asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And as soon as this was found, it made Bode's Law followers so happy. Look at this! Right. There was a planet here. Something happened. It got it got uh, destroyed by Thanos. It got Alderaan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or some kind of some kind of collision right. turned it into rubble because that's what you'd expect to find if you were a. 18th century astronomer. Millions of voices all crying out at once and then silenced. <laughs> and so they were like, perfect. There was a planet here. Bode's Law works. Now we, and it even, Bode's Law even has told us the past. It has revealed where the asteroid belt came from. Awesome. And then they said, and there will be a, certainly another planet. The next one after Saturn will be discovered much further away, about, about 20 astronomical units from the sun. Because there's an exponential quality. Yes. And it's, it's not exponential, but it but, doubled. Yeah, I right. guess that is. That's a... Uh, it's, it's not arithmetic anyway. Right. Um, and when Uranus was discovered in 1781, uh, good job. You found, Thank you. you found, Thanks. <laughs> did you find it with both hands? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't make the joke, so you, you had to make it for me. I was like, John might not make a Uranus joke here. That's really going to bother me for the rest of the day. When Uranus was discovered in 1781, yeah. uh, it obeyed Bode's Law. It was within 2% of where Bode's Law predicted it should be. So Bode's Law is looking very sexy at this sure, point. Sure, I'm, I'm titillated. We've looked up, <laughs> we've looked up God's skirt and he's not wearing any underpants. Like, uh, uh. this has predicted two new great things. Um, and so everyone's waiting to see if the next planet is uh, about 40 astronomical units away. Come on, next planet. Unfortunately, a mere 60 years go by. Neptune is discovered, oh. and it is not in the right place. Oh, man. Neptune is much, much closer to Uranus Come than... on, Neptune. Than, well, Bode's Law. And it's very disturbing when something's closer to Uranus than you think it's going to be. You're not going to let it go. Uh, so at that point, people start to wonder what is up with Bode's Law. Uh, up until that point, it, 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 was, it was becoming more and more a respected are, formula. Yeah. People right. are writing treatises based on Bode's Law. We love Bode's Law, don't we, folks? We love it. People right. are talking about it more and more. It's one of the greatest laws. One of the great laws. One of these generals came to me, just a grown man, huge man, all these medals, and he was just crying. He said, thank you, sir, for discovering Bode's Law. <laughs> um, so, because Bode's Law has predicted two things, the asteroid belt and, right. and Neptune. That's more than most 18th century science did. More than any of my laws of science. <laughs> what, what, are your, what are your laws of science? Well, my laws of science up until today predicted that Ken would never bring me a whole big <laughs> box of Danish. Kirkland's law. <laughs> uh, and so if, if, very quickly, you know, since then, we've, re, we've understood more things about science. For example, 
the asteroid belt in my lifetime i think i i remember reading that the asteroid belt was probably a destroyed planet right i i i think i may do, have still believed that, that till this, this morning that is not the current state of astronomy i see uh, it now appears that the gravitational problems that jupiter presents because it's so big and so nearby um would keep any planet from forming there Oh. So that's like a bunch of rubble that accreted when the solar system was just a big disk of gas and stuff. And it got pulled there by Jupiter, but, I mean, does Jupiter play a role in the the asteroid belt being there, or does it just prohibit there being a planet? Probably planet both, but certainly the second. I see. Like, a, you know, a planet would have formed if Jupiter hadn't kept whizzing by, Ugh. pulling off little bits of rock. Jupiter. And we now know uh, that, well, when Pluto was discovered, suddenly, you know, flash forward to the early 20th century, the discovery of Pluto, Pluto is almost exactly where Bode's Law would have put Neptune. Oh, so Neptune is maybe Bode's Law isn't. Uh, disproved. It's just Neptune. It's just, it's just is, not so good for Neptune. Neptune is the is the uh, exception that proves the rule. Bode's law asterisk. Right. Um, it's not much of a law if some giant, if some gas giant like Neptune can just appear. Well, but maybe Neptune is maybe it's UFOs gaslighting us. Nobody is a hundred percent sure. Like uh, the thing about numbers is you can mix and match them up in a lot of combinations and come up with things that seem patterns that seem like they hold you're describing my checkbook <laughs> i would do this as a kid you know i would see some i would be goofing around with counting something and it, it, would, it would seem like it might be a pattern right. and i would f- kind of figure it out I'd, the first five would work and then i'd be like let's see if the next one works and the next one the never next worked one because never i was works. a 10 year old idiot right um although a 10 year old that was playing around with math yes i was a 10 year old idiot with no friends <laughs> um so today bode's law is Gen- widely believed to be just a boat's coincidence, basically. Huh. Uh-huh. Um, it was apophenia. We were looking so closely at the manhole cover that it looked like a smiling guy. Are we looking out into the uh, croupier belt to see if there's something that that uh, something out there that would that would conform to boat's law? The croupier belt. <laughs> What? Is that what you get when you get kicked out of the casino? <laughs> yeah, so here's the problem. What is it really called? The Kuiper belt? The I Kuiper guess? belt. Right, beyond yeah. the solar the system. The Kruppier belt is the is the one uh, where the guy has the little stick. Yeah, that's how a, that's how a gambler keeps his pants up. Yeah. No, the uh, the Kuiper belt is the, the, out, the outer edges of the solar system. And you're right. The problem with Bode's Law is small sample size. Bode and Titius only had one solar system to look at. Right. Um. In recent years, we suddenly have the telescope technology to look at a giant mirror on Alpha Centauri mm-hmm. and also to see if other stars out there might have planets, which is amazing. You know, like the. It is amazing. I think how small planets are compared to stars, and then think how tiny the stars look, the little pinpricks the stars are to us. How would we be seeing planets around them? It's astonishing. But, and we're There's, not seeing the planet, we're seeing their, their uh, shadow or their. Um, the way they deform the light of the star, right? Yeah, there's a couple, there's a few different ways that we can detect exoplanets from Earth. But yeah, those are the two main families. You can either see transit, you can see the planet literally passing in front of the star and dimming its light in a certain pattern, such that you can tell maybe how big the planet is and or where it's orbiting. Uh, or, uh, you know, a big enough planet, you know, gravity acts both ways. When you jump out of a plane in Snohomish, you know, the ground is pulling you down, but you are also pulling the earth up. Right. Just not very much. Well, maybe not you. 
I'm pulling the earth up a lot. The earth is a lot more massive than you, John, yes, even yes. with the cheese Danish. I understand. I even understand. with a 1400 calorie, 1400 calorie Danish inside you. You're pulling, but you are pulling up the earth to a microscopic amount. And when you, when you get to bigger and bigger, smaller items like Jupiter going around the sun, um, Jupiter is big enough that as it whirls around the sun, it's making the sun wobble a little bit too in its little, in its spot. So when we see stars wobble a little bit like that, we can guess at where the planets are that are making them wobble in a certain pattern. But is, is Bode's law, I mean, is it still that Bode's law could be proved by observation or is there, I mean, wouldn't we have done enough math now to have determined whether or not Bode's law had a mathematical basis? Well, the problem is you're looking at the math of how a solar system forms. Right. And absent a giant mirror on Alpha Centauri, it's hard to get firsthand data. Right. And like we now know that would be such a complicated, chaotic system that even if you knew some of the starting variables... There still could be layers of order. Yeah, that good, we good, just luck, good luck predicting where the lumps are going to form. Interdestined. As a giant gas cloud eventually over billions of years becomes planets. But, you know, looking out at other stars with their own solar system and exoplanets, one of the first things scientists wanted to know is, do these planets appear to follow Bode's law? And the jury is still out, but it looks to me like the answer is kind of no. Hmm. Um, in 20, Kind of no. Well, you know, some people have gotten good results. A study in 2014 looked at known exoplanets and then tried to use Bode's law to predict where the next planet would be, kind of like what happened in our solar system, and then did f further observation. And further planets were found matching Bode's law in 5% of all cases. Oh. You have about a 1 in 20 shot of, of Bode's law predicting how your solar system looks. Although. But the feng shui of it. That might be, uh, it might be that only solar systems with Bode's law are capable of life. It could be Bode's law is the, is the harmonious playing of the strings that produces like living organisms, or, bro. Or maybe God is intentionally hiding his hand or, or you know, to use your skirts metaphor, right. um, his bum. You know, like God is like, oh, shoot, they just discovered Bode's law. I thought they wouldn't get to that one until the year 2100. God hurriedly adds Neptune retroactively to right. the solar system right. to confuse us. Right, it is and maybe, gas lighting. And maybe blows up whatever was between Mars and Jupiter. <laughs> it's gas planet lighting. <laughs> And that concludes Bode's Law, entry 138.jb2212, certificate number 36737 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. Our handles... We're at Ken Jennings on Twitter for all of his witty and trenchant social commentary. And at John Roderick, where I have once again abandoned Twitter. By the time you read this, you, do you feel like your Twitter will be unabandoned? I or am, will it stay abandoned like a supercuts? You know, my, my Twitter, when I abandon it, is still populated automatically by my Instagram feed. So I still retain... A Twitter presence. I just don't go on there and yell at millenniums about. It's like uh, a ghost single signal. payer healthcare. Would you like me to come to your house and just talk about Bernie? Sometimes do you miss Twitter? Uh, Should I just yell I at you? I don't miss Twitter. 
I do not miss it. it. As soon as I get off of it, my heart lightens. I, I'm, I'm walking around twinkle toes. I don't know why I go back to it. It's a, I have a Munchausen problem. Stockholm syndrome. I have a, a Bader Meinhof. Uh, you can't just system. You can't just add German names and say <laughs> it explains a, your behavior. I you have, have a tedious um, bode problem. <laughs> I do. With Twitter, I have an Anschluss problem. No, it's tedious bode. First, you leave for two months. Then you leave for eight months. Right. Then you leave for twelve months. Right. But then there's a a freaking Neptune in the way. <laughs> I wonder whether God, what God has done, is uh, is given us some evidence that there are 20 different kinds of solar systems. And so, although only 5% adhere to Bode's law, there are 19 other, like, laws of solar system formation, and we just have the bias of living in a Bode's law one, but there are all these other ones that create, like, different kinds of, like, the you know, God's like, oh, well, this is the solar system's type that I invent... Because I want like to make whatever like a like a warrior class, and this, this is, is the this one is where that, you get the lizard people. Yeah, this is the one that that produces like you know mining planets, giant giant goopy amoebas. Yeah, yeah. This is um, I one guess in yeah. 20. Well, that's what scientists would like to think. You know, let's say you've got a theory. You're Tidious and or Bode. You've got a theory. Your theory becomes disproved by the facts. What you would like to think is not, I have wasted twenty years of my life. What you want to think is. I am one twentieth of the way to a new, even more dazzling solution. That's right. Why wouldn't there be patterns in the way that solar systems? I mean, if you if you looked at ten thousand solar systems, wouldn't you be inclined to divide them up into types? Our future listeners must know this. Yes, they they already know. They're laughing at our ignorance. They are. They're like, oh my god! Of course we're in. Of course we're in a Bode's planetary system. The, the evidence was all around us. It's Bode's world. We just live in it. They're Bode's worlds all the way down. Uh, anyway, you can go see my Instagram uh, firsthand at John Roderick, uh, and you can email us with your theories of Bode's Law at ken at kenjennings.com or that is not that is not an actual address <laughs> or at the omnibus project at gmail.com. Both of them effectively are the same because Ken, ken is the one that reads the email, but he generally forwards emails to me that are directly addressed to me. Yeah, every although, one out of a hundred is somebody who's like, hey, um, I liked when the other guy said the thing about the Danish. That was a hoot. Yeah, that and was I, a hoot. And then I'll forward you Tell that. him. If it's the same guy every time, I can't tell. But if it is, <laughs> se- tell him that he did a good job. Uh, that's the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, also, Facebook and Reddit both have very active fan communities under the Futurelings title. Um, and I believe that there's a Discord now that is also at least partially uh, handling omnibus-based material, although I'm not sure. Maybe that's just you're, a fan group for me. You've really backed off of your uh, your endorsement of the Discord. <laughs> no, no, no. La- I, last time we recorded, you were like, oh, boy, go to the Discord. No, do What happened? Do, do go to the Discord if you cannot stand Facebook as a media hmm. and if you also can't stand Reddit for opposite reasons. <laughs> uh, Discord is a third. It's a third way. The third way. You're a third-way Discordian. I am a third-way apologist. Uh, you can mail us actual things. Ken <clears throat> routinely comes over here with big, big bastics of things and then leaves them without telling me what's in them or, or describing them on the show. But we're, what do you got over there? You got something new? 
You may recall last time that we got the two crocheted baby Yodas. I do. And I couldn't tell who they were from. Okay. And I asked Mindy, who had actually uh, picked up the mail for me this week, uh, where did the baby Yodas come from? And she said, oh, they were in the same... They were in the same package with this copy of L.A. Yoga magazine. Oh, L.A. Yoga. So we got... L.A. Yoga. We got Yodas and Yogas from uh, from Jennifer. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Some, the, some kind of yoga instructor from Riverside. The, ba- the, the baby knitted Yodas are very popular around here because we've been watching The Mandalorian in our house. It looks like they understood your interest and mine. They knew that I would want little crocheted Star Wars characters. And you would want pictures of moms in uh, yoga pants. Magazines of moms in yoga pants. Both of our interests are represented here. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. So that's P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington. If you have any kind of weird stuff you want to send us, we are uh, always at least somewhat open to receiving your weird things. Um, And things are getting weirder and weirder all the time. It used to be just some weird things. Now it's lots of weird things. What were those? Oh, somebody sent us. Was it was it uh, was it a fan or was it a sponsor that sent me that uh, pillow full of corn? It was buckwheat, and don't say anything mean about it because I think they do want to sponsor the show. Oh, great! I love the pillow. Oh, perfect! This I, is a, they just got a free ad. It's phenomenal. Don't say don't okay. use it, save it for the ad. Right, I'll John. save it for the ad. <clears throat> um, also, you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash Omnibus Project. By uh, contributing to the show and uh, in in honor of your contribution, we will make a generous donation to our children's futures. Uh, but also you have access to bonus content, including a uh, an entirely separate episode of Addenda that we do every month where we read your letters. And, exp- and then yell at you. Read your letters ex- uh, explaining to us why we're wrong and then explain to you why you are double wrong. And if you want to produce a rebuttal addenda episode, that would be great. We will produce a counter rebuttal <laughs> addenda episode. This is going to go all the way down. Every once in a while, one of us will kind of admit that you are right and we are wrong, but you have to donate to the Patreon to hear it. Yeah, it depends on the size of your donation, the likelihood that we will say, <laughs> yes, that was an erratum. But also, uh, at certain levels, you get to uh, you get to suggest uh, episode topics. Uh, We've got one coming up next week, I think. There's a there's a level somewhere up there where you can what come to Ken's house and eat a cheese Danish right in front of him and his family. You can eat any any six Costco food products in my house. If you want to come eat a full Costco thing of paprika, you can you can just shovel that down. But you have to eat all six. Yes, if you don't finish. <laughs> You have to pay for the... Your for meal the. is not free. Take our take the Ken's House Kirkland Industries Challenge. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we don't have a giant mirror that sees into the future, so we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, if the people trying to stock up for toilet paper and... Uh, canned chickpeas at Costco this morning were any indication this recording may be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Thing about me is I like to talk about Descartes, but I don't want to put Descartes before the horse.